0: Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32
1: minutes past
0: the hour. Tower cleared. we got a roll program. And as Apollo 11 does its roll program, this podcast now does its roll program. The tape is rolling. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. My name is Grant Cameron, and you're listening to the Paranormal UFO Consciousness Podcast. Thank you for taking time from your life to be here. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. This is Grant Cameron, and I have a uh, special guest today. Uh, My guest is Steve Mira, who's been a friend of mine for uh, a couple of years. Uh, he's uh, the founder of the Scientific uh, Establishment of Parapsychology. Uh, he has a magazine, Phenomena magazine, that he puts out every month. Uh, he, um, I know him sort of especially because he uh, is running the big Manchester conference, uh, Awakening conference, which I think is the biggest in uh, in Europe or England, but I'll ask Steve about that. So good morning, Steve. How are you doing?
1: Good morning, Grant. I'm doing well, thanks. Thanks for me on.
0: (laughs) Yeah, go go through a little bit of your background for people that may not know you, and um, especially the the state of the conference and uh, your magazine.
1: Okay, Um, well, I started in the subject 38 years ago, Um, 1983, was my first investigation into the UFO phenomena. Boy, have things changed since then. But uh, of course, you know, when you, if you headstrong and really want to get into the research of UFOs, then you cannot evade the subject of the paranormal and PSI phenomena. It's absolutely intrinsic throughout, you know, a lot of the UFO phenomena, as we know now, we currently know is significantly different than what we first imagined what ufology was. What my mentors taught me back in the day was significantly different. Um, and uh, so I kind of got into the parapsychological stuff as well, and the power and, and uh And I, I took over an organisation which was run by David Rees, It's been running since 1973. So that was MAPIT, M-A-P-I-T. And it's Manchester's Aerial Phenomenal Investigation Team. I took over that um, uh, in uh, well, about 1994, and it's running today. But I also, in 1996, um, um, opened a scientific establishment of parapsychology, because though that map it was consistently been investigating the UFO phenomena, which is appropriately termed UAP in a new wrapper now. Um, we realised the the paranormal attributes, the psychic ramifications to these experiences. So. We worked alongside the two organizations kind of come together, SEP, which really do, looks into the parapsychological and the PSI aspects of ufology, ufological aspects uh, of the phenomena. And they've kind of come together because we've got to kind of look at things in a whole. Um, so i have been really obviously, those two organizations. We do have a magazine, which is a monthly magazine. It's free to download at the end of every month, known as Phenomena Magazine. Comes out in 12 countries, four different languages. I believe it's the world's largest e of its kind uh, and we approximately have about one just over 1.8 million subscribers now worldwide and some independent um, um written ones for different languages as well so we're not it's not just a copy of our head office magazine going out to different countries it's actually standalone issues and it's we do it free because it's about networking and it's about getting that information back and also spreading word you know, because for me, it's about advancing the subject. We can't be static in this subject anymore. It's driving me absolutely potty. We've got to, we got to move on. We've got to new learn, learn new things, new research areas. And uh, most of the time, I've been faced with that. You know, throughout the years, is just the staticness of another photo and another video. Well, it's it's only adding to the mountain we've already got. We've got to move on. Um, and with our, we opened up about five six years ago our expo, which just went absolutely crazy we uh, on our last um awakening ufo expo we're here in manchester in the uk we had about 2600 people attend um which is clearly the largest throughout europe uh, and again it's about bringing in new concepts new ideas and new areas of research it's not just about you know coming out with the same old stories but we we do we really are trying to press forward and our and our, our special event it's also Are very family orientated. I mean, uh, for those that attend, we have a lot of props and we have a, it's a little bit like a Comic Con because the reason is, is that we've got to consider, you know, where we're going to be in 40, 50 years' time. Are the younger generation going to be coming forward and doing some of our work? Because we really need them to, to be honest, Grant. Uh, most of them are signed from the computer games these, these these days. So we've got to get them out. We've got to get them introduced to the subject. And we found that that was about the best way. And we have families coming, you know, with the younger generation and they're learning about things. And that's really what we wanted to do. So overall, we're kind of involved in the whole subject around the world, doing numerous different things and trying to keep our finger on the button on there uh, in regarding new, you know, new things that come to light.
0: Yeah, you have done a very good job, especially I was at Manchester, and that is an amazing conference, especially for only having been run a couple of years. I mean, it sort of took off, and there's sort of a I talked to the um, I can't remember his name, but the paranormal event that sort of started the thing. So it's it's kind of an interesting thing. What's the status for next year? I guess you're gonna go with it again.
1: Yes, I mean we we did we did look into trying to do pull something off for this year, but the situation here in the UK at the moment is that we are currently in lockdown. We were supposed to be relaxed and coming out of lockdown come June the twenty first. That's now not going to happen. We've been extended into the lockdown another month because we have what we refer to as a Delta variant taking place, which was referred to as the Indian variant. It's called the Delta variant, and it's in is actually on the increase in the UK, and it's they just really haven't uh, got to hands with it as yet. So it's a little undetermined that we could have ever really done anything properly this year. So we are fixed for twenty twenty two. Uh, our sites are on it, and hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll will uh, be putting a large event together.
0: Now, you, have, you, you when you go to Manchester, you're going to run it at this new theme park, and is that is that true or connected? Well, to the, theme the,
1: the, the theme park is going to take three years to construct because it's oh, okay. you know, a considerable size. But we the construction starts place in November of this year, which uh, which is a chance of the God's Uh, theme park Um, but it's all about education it's all about the subject it's all about the ufos and the and this and, and obviously the 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 spiritual aspect the psychic aspect as well you know the conscious connection and stuff how we how we as our ancestors we might probably don't have that anymore but our ancestors certainly probably demonstrated this um, and in fact, to learning now, moving forward, we've got to go back in time a little bit to try and learn from our ancestors, what were they doing and how did they consciously react with the phenomena. And um, and I think we kind of have to go go in that direction now, moving forward, because there are lots of other things on the table now, not just UFOs and nuts and bolts crap, but all these different aspects to the subject. So, um we uh, we're hoping, hopefully, you know, we're we're on track. We're doing well, um, and the new research material that we're coming forward is really giving us a, a head a head start into these new research areas in regarding this phenomena.
0: Okay, now let's get to UAPs. You know, they're supposed to be coming out with the report um, from wherever the task force on the twenty fourth, twenty fifth, whatever. Uh, what's the state in in the UK? I mean, has um, Do you know if the UK government has been briefed? uh, What's the state of ufology in uh, Great Britain? And uh, what do you look at when you're looking at all this developing stuff?
1: Well, surprisingly, it's very quiet here in the UK. It's as if it's been given the blind eye by the UK government. Um, Though I would expect someone. I mean, if Nick Pope was over here, you know, still working in office, I'm sure there would have been some information going out there. but uh, to be honest with you, grant I think it's just being swept under the rug in the uk. All eyes are fixed on the US at this moment and um, to be honest though, you know I'm not um, I'm not holding out for something fantastic to be to be announced. you know I think that we will probably end up right back where we started. I don't think there will be a confirmation that these things are extraterrestrial in nature. I think more than likely they'll be classed as an unknown. Um, Of course, utilising the fact that they could be other countries involved in the manufacture of these um, exotic drones. Um, So, you know, I'd love to hold out for the fact that, you know, we are going to get some real confirmation. But, you know, I don't think it's going to happen, really. Um, I think we're going to kind of still be in the same rut we're currently in, asking that ultimate question, are they theirs or are they ours? You know, and as I've stated, you know, um, depending on what day and what research I read, it, I, I sway from side to side. You know, I'll, I'll get up on a Monday morning thinking, do you know what? I have thought heavily about this stuff on UAPs, and they've got to be extraterrestrial. I mean, surely we couldn't have that technology. And then I find something out that leads me to believe, well, you know what? There is a possibility that we could, you know, especially regarding me. You, you look at the very, very top question here. Um, is are they ours or are they theirs? The principal thing that comes to light when asking anybody is, is that if you take for an example, example the tic-tac UFO um, is its speed. It transitions from 80,000 feet to around about 80 feet in seconds. That's an incredible speed. You know, what's it going? Max six, max seven, Mac eight, you know? Um, but then, you know, if we go back and look, really start looking at other people's research, had a lengthy conversation, with David Adair, Rocket Genius. And uh, his his information is just staggering. But, you know, we're going back into, the say, the 1950s here when he he manufactured a fusion engine. This is some type of propellant fusion engine. And he said, this damn thing took off so fast you couldn't even see it leave. And it travelled all the way to Green Lake within minutes. You know, the distance that those travelled, we're talking thousands of miles an hour. This could be you know, travelling up to 12,000, 13,000 miles per hour if he's correct in regarding his information. And, you know, and he's a, he's a clever guy. I've seen the statistics. I've seen the information that he shared with me. And all, by all chance, I think that this rocket, what he was manufacturing in 1950, did have the capabilities of moving at those speeds. So we cannot eliminate the fact that we might be utilising some type of fusion technology, you know, in propulsion to move an object, especially if it's unmanned, uh, at an incredible speed but is it ours you know so again we come full circle and, and this is why every single day i get up i'm kind of i'm just reading research and i'm backwards and forwards backwards and forwards you know and um, i wouldn't want to put money on it let's say at this moment Grant.
0: <laughs> yeah uh one one question then i have a, a related question to the first question uh uap is that a is that a term that nick pope brought to the united states is that the term that was used in great britain or because really.
1: changed the term. Yeah, not really. I mean, we uh, we pretty much used use the term uh, UFO in the country or unidentified objects, just as a simple as that. Um, but I started seeing that in more of the scientific documents, uh, especially coming from the US. Um, but now it seems to be very much wrapped up in the in that terminology UAP. Um, UAP has been used in meteorological circles for a long time because it represents some of the phenomena that we're still learning about, which is classed as UAP, such as ball lightning and the various types of ball lightning, solid ball lightning, plasma-type ball lightning, which is not destructive. Um, And we're still learning about some of those rare atmospheric conditions which are classed under UAP. Um, So you do find them in meteorological circles and papers. But to be linked in with the UFO, um, you know, it seems to me that it's a very good way of just kind of forgetting the last 70 years under the subject of UFOs. A, you know, that the government were, said announced that they weren't investigating them. Lie. You know, that they had no interest in the UFO phenomena. Lie. Um, and of course, now it's kind of wrapped up in this new parcel of UAP. It's as if you, you've got to take it in this direction and forget the last 70 years. Um, and for most of us, we can't do that because... You know, we're talking about significant incidents, like what we've heard, the Tic Tac and the Nimitz and the Roosevelt being involved, uh, and the Gimbal, the GoFast. You know, those things are are, are are nothing compared to some of the things that have happened in the past regarding military operations, the sightings, the incursions, the UFO incidents. But yeah, they've kind of just kind of been forgotten with, and this is the new term, and this is what your eyes have got to go in this direction and not that direction. Uh, to me, you know, it's all one and the same thing, depending on no depending on what they want to call these things. It leaves us with a problem. That problem is now, you know, 70 years ago we could probably hold our hands up and say, oh yeah, it's not our technology, not 70 years ago, but now, now we have a problem because now we can see things in the sky that we cannot readily identify, should they be ours or not. And we do know that they do not care about flying these things around because at the end of the day, when people shout UFO. It takes their eyes away from exotic flights of, you know, of these experimental equipment. I think, in fact, they want us to say you on many occasions. So it's kind of all wrapped up in a a very big mess at the moment. And we have come to the cusp. That cusp has finally reached us beyond in regards to human technology and extraterrestrial technology. And uh, the likelihood of being properly able to identify the difference between them both is becoming more and more difficult by the day.
0: Now, we t- we're talking about technology. I remember you told me before we can maybe add it in here. You actually worked on bio boards many years ago, oh, which is pretty sophisticated stuff for when you were talking about it. So talk a little bit about that.
1: Well, well I didn't realize it at the time, but um, my father worked. Um, he signed a number of official secrets acts, and he worked... On the uh, Guardian Tunnels in Manchester. Now these were responsible for all the major telephone lines in the country, which link up military bases, even the Prime Minister's phone. So you know you can well imagine that you know him being in, in charge of that location and making sure because rats rats love to chew wires, you know. So that was obviously a you know a significant problem. um But um through him, I got associated into contract work, and I was contracted. To, To to NATO in RAF Weathersfields in Essex. And uh, it was under a partnership program between NATO and Marconi at the time. We're talking 28, maybe about 28 years ago. Um, It was pretty much compartmentalized because I didn't really talk too much about my work with other people, which were working different shifts or different areas. But my job was to fit large computer boards. I mean, to be honest, they look a little bit like a large computer board you'd find in a, in a large PC um, and, and place them into these sophisticated racking systems. And as soon as you fit them, they, they lock in and they, they're, com- they con- they're controlled and communicate by three satellites in orbit. Those three satellites in orbit were not listed. I assume there might have been National Security Agency satellites about the size of a football field. And there were three of them, which were um, associated with this Marconi Telecom project. And um, I, I found out after two or three weeks that other people were nicknaming these things bio boards. So I eventually got to find out, you know, why are you calling bio boards? Because, you know, though I had seen some unusual things on these circuit boards, and I've seen circuit boards before, but I've never come across a, 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 a containment on the circuit board of this pinky purple liquid. Um, because, you know, as a, as in a, any form of electronic or engineer or telecommunications guy will tell you, you know, liquids and electronics don't tend to go well together. But um, apparently these were nicknamed bioboards because it was utilising a biological, biological circuitry on the board, which consisted of a plasma memory cells, biological plasma memory cells. Um, and because I signed the official secret tax on three occasions, I never talked about it, you know, because I thought, you know, it could get in a little bit of trouble. Uh, and a few years back, I remember reading, I just stumbled across it on the internet, IBM, had made an announcement saying that they were going to be utilising plasma memory cells. And I thought, fantastic. You know, if they can put it out, I can talk about it. So, you know, I managed to talk about it. And a few people have, have really have come to me and said, look, you know, um, they've also heard about biological circuitry being integrated, you know, into some of these um, electronic systems. Um, and it just goes to show, I thought at the time, this is amazing. This is going to be out in the next year or two. We're 28 years on, and it's still not in the public domain, Grant. So, you know, um, it surprises me that you know that the simplest of things can be kept secret in regards to technology. I mean, you know, there not, was nothing about UFOs or anything back then, you know, but just as simple, some, something as simple as that can uh, be kept secret, you know, and can be years and years before they actually come out, you know, into the public domain.
0: Um- Related to that, do you do you think that I wrote a I have a podcast um, called uh, Paranormal UFO Consciousness Podcast, and yesterday I detailed uh, going back to an article I'd written many years ago called "The 64 Reasons They've Decided Not to Tell You the Truth," and one of the ones I'd considered is the whole idea of patents that there are people in behind. Would that be part of the situation where um, if you're working on this stuff and you're on the leading edge, you're not going to Come public with your material until you have a patent on what be would be leading edge technology, which would worth an awful lot of money.
1: Do you think? Yeah, I mean, we, yeah, I mean, it's like you're absolutely right. I mean, we know from working with some of the technology. I mean, we've we've been involved in creating our own technology, regarding GPS um, tracking um, uh, apps for phones, um, which um, monitor, you know, the situation. Uh, your environment is when you're entering it. So it, it alerts you and things like that. Coming up with paintings is um, is a tricky business because if it's such a fantastic um, um, product, you've got to be careful because painting on a product means that you've got to reveal everything pretty much about that, you know, about the um, this, how it works. And, of course, you obviously, if you don't want it ending up in somebody else's house, there's obviously some concerns there. Um, but what I, that tends to come later, as far as I'm concerned, because we talked to our lawyers, and some of them are in, in the US, and they said, you look, you know, um, keep it, you know, keep it quite to your chest for now, and you can certainly copyright you know, the information, but I wouldn't paint into it until you've got a proper operable system, which led me to believe that. I wonder if paintings actually come in because they're actually working models already. So when suddenly a patent turns up, say, from 10 years ago and it suddenly gets onto the internet and you start thinking, that's really interesting, is it because it's actually already been in development and it actually works? And then, obviously, the patent becomes public domain matter. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I would say would say this in many cases. I mean, I've talked to a couple of people in high places and they said, do you know what? If they've got some patents out there, they'd rather, it's, they'd rather got it and it failed or they got it and it worked you know, for that information, because you wouldn't be reading about that painting otherwise. You know, it's as simple as that. Um, and what we've heard from recently about some of the paintings that have been released in regarding these exotic um, exotic um, um, uh, drones or crafts or whatever they read, is that some of these higher officials, even generals, are saying that looking at these paintings, say they're operable. Now, if they if they are operable, then you know I'd be surprised if we aren't using them for one reason or another. Um, and it it's intrigues me when you come across incidents such as two thousand and four, and it was an is um, an Iran military document stating that the CIA in two thousand and four were monitoring. Um, their military sites, their nuclear capabilities, and so on and so forth, um, utilising drones. These drones could travel, well, they they they, they took a reading at Mach, Mach 10 which is about 7,500 miles per hour. I mean, you've got to consider, you know, the, the SR-71 was flying at 2,300 miles per hour, and that, we thought, was fast. Um, and uh, these things can stop in a panic and hover, um, and they just scoot out the area like a rocket in the sky, um, not being being in any way capable to catch these things by any of their military jets. Uh, and this is in 2004. I mean, when you read these documents, you think, "Who? who if the CIA own things like that, then we've got a real big problem because how on earth are we supposed to identify, you know, a real phenomenon, which I truly believe exists? Um, and I think the only thing I can determine the difference now is that, I do know that the real phenomenon can materialize and dematerialize, in, in a sense of speaking, uh, and, and also materializing uh, or manifesting key locations around the planet, which they seemingly like to do. Um, and I don't tend to see that in some of the the exotic tech. You know, that's the only thing that can determine the difference between at this moment in time, to be honest.
0: Um, let me ask you a question. Um, a bender from Politico came out and stated that... Um, uh there the, there was a government uh program to look at the interdimensional nature of these things that they may be from here but a place where you can't see this kind of interdimensional thing and kit green if you read uh john uh, penniston's book where he goes to penniston and penniston says what are you doing i want to know what you're doing and he said we're working bigelow has the contract uh, we're working with experiencers and we're trying to figure out how does the phenomena pop in and pop out just as quickly the interdimensional nature of these things, which indicates that they may know this this idea that this may not be as extraterrestrial. Have have you looked into that sort of aspect? I'm sure you have. And that's where we get into this thing of the psychic link, that it may not be as nuts and bolts as people think it is.
1: Exactly. I mean, I think if if it was traditionally, as we were taught, just as my mentors taught me, that it's a physical nuts and bolts craft, traveling the linear distances of the vast space to come and visit planet Earth with give love and light, I mean, um, you know, it was a very, it's it's a very science fiction our type of physics thinking, really. Um, but now we know, you know, from the evidence we're gathering, that that doesn't seem to be the case. I mean, you know, considering how many UFOs are seen on a regular basis worldwide, statistically, these thousands of these things, and you know, as they travel through the ionosphere, like a boat leaves through water, leaves a wake, and those wakes are easily identifiable and visible to especially, you know, um, SETI programs and things like that. But their comments are, you know, space is unusually quiet, you know. So where the hell these things are all coming from, you know, is a whole different theory of thinking. And like I say, I think the, it doesn't help the fact that, you know, when people say, oh, when are we going to get disclosure? I think that might have varied significantly if it, if it was just as simple as extraterrestrials traveling from distant planet, um, just as we might do. I think there's a, a huge amount of this phenomena that uh, seemingly deceptive. You know, it's it's perceives we can perceive it to be different things, or they can make us perceive different things. It's got a very intrinsic paranormal strain that runs through it. There's this this the psi phenomena, and I think the complications of that alone is maybe the deterrent to release information because. You know, if we, if we, we can just get our head around the fact that we might be having extraterrestrial visitation with a planet. But dealing with this is a whole new ballgame, because if that's the case, this phenomenon could be right under our noses all the time, and we would be absolutely oblivious to it. Now, with information coming forward from countless amounts of physicists saying... You know what, there's evidence of another reality. There's a parallel world. There's something else right next to us. We can recognize it because of gravitational distortions. We know it's there. It exists. People keep saying this over and over, and it's been going on since, well, as far as I know, 2016. They shout it from the rooftops, but nobody seems to be listening to them. But um, if you put these all the dots together... The evidence takes you in a completely different place. It takes you towards the paranormal and the psi and all those sort of things. And it is them in things which become intrinsically difficult to explain because I don't think they hold all the answers. You know, just as we don't, just as parapsychologists don't have all the answers why an object might move from one place on a table to another. You know, we haven't got those answers, but we do know there's a phenomena there. We do know there's a mechanism there. It's intelligence and something's going on. And it does somehow tie into the mechanics or the physics, which is which is re- represented throughout the UFO phenomena as well. So I think we look at things as a whole, as a phenomenology, in a sense of speaking, like you have done. And I think that's the best way to deal with it. Because as we're ignoring these other elements, we're never going to get to the true phenomena, and what it really is capable of doing. Um, and I think that's a real big problem. You know, I definitely think that uh, we're going to have to start getting our heads around this um, This other the reality um, and maybe a parallel world, whatever these things are, they're seemingly jumping in and jumping out and control the skies in all sense.
0: Yeah. Now you've done a lot in, in both areas with the psychic and the UAP area. The one example that I uh, um, bring up now, Hell uh, put off, there was a, a conference, you may have gone to this uh, conference a couple of weeks ago online where Hal was interacting with people and he brought up this, this anomaly uh, this idea where Chris Bletso had it, Terry Lovelace had it, where you go in the craft, it's 30 feet across, and you go inside the craft, and it's the size of a football field inside, or a football stadium inside the, inside the craft. And Hell brought that up as, this is something we should be looking at. This is, and I know uh, there's a crossover with the spiritual world. I have a guy who uh, the intelligence actually took him to the spirit world. He was with his dead mother, and he's walking around with his dead mother, and she takes him into a building. And he said, I walked in the building, he said, it was huge inside. It was massive, 10 times the size. And I said, hey, that's what the UFO people say. Have you got examples of that where you're looking at this stuff? I guess telepathy would be one where you start to see these crossovers where you go, that's the same thing. It's like, it looks almost the same phenomenon.
1: It is, absolutely, absolutely. We have mountains and mountains of these cases that we've been involved in. And, you know, when you break down and look at the phenomena, what's actually taking place. And you look at the characteristics of that to try and identify it. It's been identified in parapsychological circles as this particular word. But the same phenomena is given something different in the ufological realm. That's just exactly the same phenomena. It's just been going on. I mean, what, what interests me is, is that when the first time, the first time any talk was documented in regarding um, alien, alien beings from another world, was around was around psychic circles. It was round. It was round the the seance tables. You know these things were being seen. These information confirmation coming forward from these entities. You know was flooding through. Sometimes even giving um, incredible information, which was being utilized. I mean, if you take for an example the Metaphysical Society in um, in, in in Germany, which became the Vril Society. It Was a metaphysical society seances. And those things were communicating with these beings, which were giving information. Then it went and it became the Vril Society. That information was being passed over, you know, to the to the German forces and passed to scientists. And you know, they were heading away in technology through information, little goodie bags, I call them, given to us, you know, on purpose. I believe that they're obviously, you know, these things are done on purpose to take us into new areas of research or something. Maybe they, whoever they are, they want us to advance, you know, um, and learn for ourselves once we've got the goodies. And um, that seems to have been the case, you know, and it, through the, there was some very interesting experiments that took place in the UK in Norfolk called the Skull Experiment. Entities were seen, photographed, and in fact, they actually had to close down that group because of the incursion, because there were so many that wanted to come through. They lost control of the circle. It's as simple as that. They were warned they had to close it. And it was affecting, it could affect something within the time, the knowledge, those sort of things. They didn't quite understand, but they had to close down the operation. And they did. But um, if you talk to the person that ran that, ran those um, experiments, he will tell you, that phenomena of these beings, the UFOs, because UFOs were seen during joint seances. They were the size of dinner plates, and they were incredible. And they looked as if they were real, silvery disks flying around the room, and at the same time, pinpointing a place with light from them on the table. And as they moved around the room, they managed to keep this pinpoint on the table. And there were several of these things seen, as well as balls of light phenomena, which landed on people's hands. Um, it's, I mean, I know people have been involved in that, and they are absolutely telling the truth. I've seen some things which are not in the public domain. I don't think they'll ever get into the public domain for a long time. But I've witnessed some of this stuff myself. I've seen the um, some photographs. I've seen video footage, and it blew me away, to be honest with you. But uh, if you can s- experience that round a table, you know in a in a cellar in Norfolk in the uk we've set out experience uh, um of mediumship then you know where's the limitations you know we have to say that you know intrinsically it's part of that phenomena as well the communications the manifestations of these objects um all we see is maybe on a grander scale in the you know throughout the throughout the world in our skies but to me it's kind of one of the same thing it's just uh it's just ter- the terminology on these things gets a bit confusing.
0: So you, you've you duplicated some of the skull stuff. You've gone down that road and done a lot of research. How would you interpret the phenomena that we're dealing with, whether it be through UAP or through mediumship or like, I guess the question is what's the nature of reality in terms of what you've been able to discover in, in, in dealing with this paranormal stuff that um, shows that we've got some anomalies and we've got some problems yeah. in, in the way we understand things and, and we have to add some blocks to the to the the mix or we're missing some puzzle pieces.
1: Yeah I mean well some of this phenomenon, and a lot of well a lot of this phenomena is like uh, an empty toy you know and we come along with the batteries and we put it in you know and then the two they spring to life. And in other words there's a cooperation you know between the experiencer and the phenomena. And that is seemingly taking place. We do know that conjuring this phenomenon also works. I mean, if you take, you know, six uh, psychic mediums and put them around the table and conjure this phenomenon and you see entities or you see strange little ships and things, whatever, it's no different than taking six meditators out on a beach, you know, and conjuring some light phenomena in the sky, which kind of falls very similarly into the CSETI program. I mean, it is the same thing. You know, it's a of the right people, the right consciousness and the right timing and the right location. I've demonstrated this. I've actually I've put money on it. I've took people out onto a location. We did this in Palm Springs uh, and we took them into a location where we had already priorly researched. It was a positive, highly potent, positive magnetic anomaly. And we got up there in the middle of nowhere and phenomena he didn't let us down, let's say. You know, there was a close encounter with this phenomenon. Some of these people panicked, we were with. But they you know they assured us that they'd be okay. But some of them did panic a little, I have to say. They didn't expect it. But we, we, were, we were right again. You know, we can go to these locations. We know if you've got the right mindset, that phenomena will introduce itself to you. You know, but at the same time, you know, you can also track these locations, uh, which we've been doing around the world, and visiting these in, these things and getting some Most of the time, you know, at first, they wouldn't allow us to photograph them. They wouldn't appear themselves with us with cameras in our hands. It was only when we put them in the trunk, things started appearing, you know. So, but over a period of time, and now and again, they all allow us to photograph and video, and we've got some amazing stuff, you know. But it it seems there's some type of connection that's going on between the observer, you know. These things can just, I mean, like the one in the Palm Springs, just manifest. It didn't come into sight, it just bang, it was there. It's as if it was always there and we couldn't have seen it. Suddenly, bang, it's there. And then it just imploded on itself and it was gone. It was like, you know, just showing I'm here, you know, you were right. Um, and uh, and seemingly, they're obviously in control but uh, because they know about us. They know about what we're thinking. They know what plans we've got. They know if we've hidden the camera over in the bush. You know, <laughs> there's, there's, no, there's no beating them on that one. But the conscious connection is very, very strong. Um, They've demonstrated that mountains of time, even when they have the 1980s, the shoot-down order, pilots are given the shoot-down order. They were saying, we're trying to get weapon lock on these things, and suddenly they're doing evasive manoeuvres, as if you knew, because they really need the intentions of the pilot. They know how to countermeasure these incidents. Um, But I'm not seeing aggression. I'm seeing that they'll protect themselves, if necessary, by shutting down electronics. But I'm not seeing aggression. So... Everything is about a threat at the moment, and that concerns me a little bit because I keep thinking, well, if there'd been a threat, you know, shouldn't we have considered this back in, in, during the Second World War when we were tracing our aircraft backwards and forwards? You know, and shouldn't we have had this at countless times, you know, considering that there's a threat and shouting it from the rooftops? I think, really, the, the the if we really do want to generate a threat, and what concerns me is, is that could a threat be utilised to the manufacture further technology which is not an advantage such as weaponizing space for an example you know if you generate a big enough threat you know then eventually someone in the congress is going to pass it let's okay let's break let's break the 19th central space treaty act and let's get weapons up there because we don't know who these are we couldn't defend all i'm seeing at the moment Grant, is people pilots generals saying we can't defend ourselves if they attack us you know uh, we've had it if their technology is as good as this then we couldn't stand the fight I mean, we should have been saying this for years and years and years. If that was the case, but it does concern me a little. I have to say, in, me, in recent times, I'm seeing a lot of that.
0: Yeah, that that leads to. I, I always bring up the fact that when um, hit, uh, when um, Leslie Kane wrote her book in 2010, she had the forward by John Podesta, and they'd filed the lawsuit against NASA to get the Kexberg files and stuff like that. She described the fact that it was a threat to airline traffic. And I guess they sort of laughed at her and like because they're trying to get funding. So that would be my question now. Um, if, if we're looking at this thing for technology or to figure out where they're from or whatever, would you be briefing the Armed Services Committee and the Intelligence Committee? Would you not be briefing the Science and Technology Committee, the uh, Outer Space Committee? So what do you think is actually going on and who do you think is behind this present movement to move this thing out into the open? Because something has changed in the last couple of years. There has to be somebody, I don't think it's happening by accident. So what's your interpretation of what's actually going on here?
1: Well, I mean, from the early days, you know, when the TTSA first hit the screens, uh, providing information, um, I was a little disillusioned at the fact they were showing a photograph, one of my photographs from Manchester no. Eccles, of a bloom. And this wasn't by chance, this was shown on a, one of the hugest projector screens I've ever seen in front of scientists and world news. And yet there they are showing this. I couldn't believe my eyes, Grant. You know, honestly, it took me three months of myering and telling them, look, guys, you know, you use it. What, what, how the hell you even got that photo? It only exists on one place on the internet. It was taken from there. It was slightly altered. It was light blasted and altered and stuff. Uh, and I don't know the reasons why, but, you know, even my, even my you know, novice investigators would never bring something in without truly checking the source. And if this is supposed to be some type of world leading guys um, who have got the resources at their fingertips, I would have thought they would have definitely made sure that that shouldn't happen. And it did. And I was really taken back by that. It took me, I talked to, eventually after three months, I talked with, um, uh, with George Knapp about this. And uh, I had to go public. I, it was the only way that information out. I had to go public, and it was the it was actually the reporters that contacted the TTSa, it forced them to make a, you know, an announcement about it. And simply, it was brushed off. well, it, we unfortunately we just kind of made a mistake. But do you know what? Mistakes like that shouldn't happen if you really, you know, with the minds of the people that are dealing with this. And if it really is an an unfortunate accident, then it really is unfortunate. You know, the craziness of it is, though, the coincidence of it is that it was my photographs, (laughs) uh, which I identified straight away. So I've always been a little bit suspicious from day one. Um, I've done my, like many others, I've done my own research on, on the people in there, like Chris Mellon and, you know, his background and his father's background and his grandfather's background, which gets darker as you go further back, unfortunately. But um, and I had many suspicions. I also had many suspicions about uh, Elizondo and if he was still working for the CIA, if he still got one foot in the camp. And everything seemed to be the information that came out in the television series when I identified a lot of it was inaccurate. The, I remember them taking a trip on one of the episodes around Catalina Ireland. And they were pointing out positive magnetic anomaly around iron There is no positive magnetic anomaly around catalydorion because that's that's pretty much we specialise in that technology and working with that. Um, and it just threw me, I thought, well, do you know what? That's not quite right, and that's not quite right. And everything was kind of being steered to a threat. You know, um, forget about the phenomena. You know, it's just about the threat, the threat, the threat. And it led me to believe that there's, there's obviously something to, to gain out of this. And the suspicion for me was, you know, if they can gain um, money towards a goal they want to reach. And if it is weaponizing, if it is further technology, whatever, then that could generate it. You know, a threat like this, if, if enough people push forward... And believed is a threat, then something could be on the table. Something could go on the table, which means we need to take the next step. We want, they, we know that the United States have wanted to significantly weaponize space in an official manner. I'm sure they're doing it unofficially, but it, in an official manner, because of that, at some point it's got to be official because an of amount of people and businesses and companies they've got to work with, it's got to get out. So to do to, to get that you know green green light to go ahead. Then I think something might have to happen. Um, and even as simply as May 2020, you know, these discussions about weaponizing space, you know, a lot of these times they're getting thrown out. It's getting thrown out, it has to break certain treaties. We're not, we shouldn't be doing that. Da-da-da-da-da. But at some point, I think, I think officially it's going to be reaching that, you know, even if they make out that these, these drones are belonging to other countries. Because they have their fair share of paintings, not just the US, they have theirs as well. And if you look through them, they're not much different than some of the paintings that we've been seeing over the America in the US. So I believe all countries, maybe that's the new thing on the block. Maybe it's the push for um, uh, incredible, moving, unmanned uh, technology. And that's the way forward. And there's a battle going on between the superior scientific communities from each country and advancing that technology and how to get hold of it and how to utilise it, you know, because I think that the drones is definitely something of the future that we're definitely going to be seeing on a regular
0: basis. Yeah. Do you think, do you think it's going to work? Do you think they're going to get the money? The, and the other thing is the, the secrecy of the thing is that I say to people, like, what did we actually learned?" I mean, that now we learned that Senate was briefed. What were they briefed about? We can't tell you. I mean, nothing's really changed.
1: Nothing's changed at all. I don't think it's going to. You know, I think we're going to try and divert our thinking away from the last 70 years or whatever yeah. phenomena, you know, wrap it up in something and going in a different direction. Um, it's like they just jump lanes, Grant, really, you know, onto yes. a new highway with no, no traffic, straight new highway, no previous incident. And, and that's kind of gets you to think that it's a very psychological process of doing things, you know, very cleverly. Um, and I think, yeah, I think there's definitely a conclusion you're going to try to reach, you know, if it's monetary, if it's if it's about technology, if it's about weaponizing, one thing is for sure, you know, um I really don't know what to make of some of these things. I mean, we look, I looked a lot of the, the three pieces of videos. Well, there's five in fact now, but there's three pieces of videos, the initial three, Tic-Tac, GoFast and Gimbal. Um, some of the analysis on the on one of them, which was the GoFast, um, was suggesting that the craft was at 13,000 feet. And therefore, the background looks well, like it's moving faster because the background moves faster than the foreground, uh, which is a visual effect. But we're always looking at thermal imaging. It's not, you're not actually seeing the craft, you're seeing its trace, its thermal trace. And um, it could look significantly different. You know, all we've got to fall on is the visual representations from the pilots. And if you actually, the first guys they went out to and um, they were interviewed by these guys, drawings were made. You know, electronic graphic art was made of the of what they said they saw. They saw a tic tac, and they saw four prongs on it. Now, those prongs look very similar to pitot tubes. Now, pitot tubes, you know, they're mostly found, they are found on some aircraft, but mostly found on unmanned aircraft, and uh, they are very sophisticated um, sensory devices for navigation especially on unmanned aerial vehicles. Sometimes these link to satellites in orbit and have a GPS you know, GPS system which tracks this and gives data very fast, feeds the data through. And it's all obtained from the pit tubes. And it, it, it had four of these unusual prongs on it. And I remember looking at them and saying, look a bit like pit-top tubes. Um, um, I don't know what they are. You know, there's certainly... Um, it, it doesn't seem to be affected by the aerodynamic system, whatever it is, the technology. So... Um, whatever is being utilised, I don't know. But I mean, I, we do occasionally come across things. We now know that we have uh, invisibility. We know how we have a shield of invisibility that we can put around things and they become invisible. That technology is now out in the public domain. There's information about it, there's demonstrations about it, videos. But, I mean, how long has that been on the cards for? Maybe 20, 30, 40, maybe even 50 years. We, we just really don't know. But if we're finding out about it now, you can guarantee it's been going on for a long time. And now we're starting to get into the drone eras, you know, all this new information about drones being used and things being at incredible speeds. Um, I'm not going to rule out that technology as being ours, you know, uh, but I'm certainly not going to rule out the phenomenon either because, like I say, it's become very difficult now to work out who uses what. Well.
0: You, you, we get to the technology. One of the other things that they're bringing up that uh, sort of rings a bell for me is they say, uh, we're, we're not talking aliens. Don't talk about aliens like uh, Senator Reid said. Don't talk about the little green men. And uh, this is just about these sightings. And it's almost like Jack Ballet said about the, the Tic Tac. That was a UFO sighting 15 years ago. It's time to get over it. And what they're doing is they're cutting out the paranormal aspect, whether you want to call it alien, it's the woo-woo, don't go down the woo-woo world, and that's where you and I spend most of our time. They're still in this idea of proving UFOs exists and we need, you know, it's a threat and this sort of thing, but trying to block this whole other aspect that I think you and I would agree is, Potentially the most important aspect of the whole phenomena is this whole paranormal thing behind the the sightings. Oh,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, when we first looked at old documentation with internal messaging backwards and forwards in the CIA docket you know, CIA offices, and they had certain documents with with the references WSFMs on this referencing. And for years we say she was going, What the hell is WSFM? You know, it's well, it's an internal memos between the CIA regarding the subjects of ufology. Well, what is it? Is it some secret operation? Is it a special project? And it was just terminology for weird science and freaking magic, you know, because that to them, it probably is. You know, the elements that I, I know from being a parapsychologist, if I sit an average person down and start to explain to him some of the physics behind some of the paranormalities here, they just go, it's just like magic. It's just... Uh, it's weird, weird, weird stuff. I just don't understand and probably might never do because science relies on something physical and and to bench test. Getting something physical and to bench test something is an afterthought. I mean, we do know that there's been paranormal incidents where apparitions have been seen. Items have even been left in association to these apparitions and been analysed. And sometimes they're not much different in the isotopic level range as some of the metamaterial stuff. The physics that are involved in these things are seemingly one of the same. The manifestation of a paranormal airport, the manifestation of a UFO in the sky, either. Both of them do affect the surrounding environment, even on the small scale of an airport for a short period of time, will affect that environment. Just as a UFO seemingly affects this given environment on manifestation, it seems to be a gravity well. Now, it's this interesting because what else, I did do a number of reports on these gravitational wells, where manifestations of UFOs are taking place. We wouldn't normally we we don't see them. We're very likely to even feel them or even know that they exist. If it wasn't down to new you know new equipment coming forward allowing us to test for that differentials in time because differentials in light. Because not even light waves, you know, can escape gravitational disturbances. And recently I talked with the Scientific Coalition of UAP, um, and those guys said they were aware of the work, Hal Putoff has been involved in that um, establishment. And uh, uh, Davis, Davis has also been involved in that as well. And they said, he said they are aware of what we're doing in our work and found it very interesting. Now, that, you know, we're not the first guys to come out with this. It's been going on since 1980s, you know. I mean, the first talk of this was in 1982 about magnetic anomalies and gravitational disturbances and UFO phenomena. There was a keen interest in trying to figure out what the hell's going on around the planet. Um, and it's been going on since the 1980s. All we're doing is just picked it up and trying to further that into a new area of research. It's definitely involved in this phenomenon. It doesn't act the same, it acts very paranormal. Um, and the things you experience are very paranormal. You know, the the, the way people are manipulated by the paranormal is the same process in the ufological world. The paralysis elements of this phenomenon in the alien abduction is no different than the paralysis ele- elements of, of apparition experiences in bedrooms. You know, it's we are looking at a, a phenomena that seemingly has various masks, but the phenomena is intrinsically the same. And over hundreds, if not thousands of years, we can, if you forget the name and just look at the phenomena, you can backtrack it and go back and back and back. This isn't a new thing on the block. You know, this is uh, this has been going on for a long, long time. But I'll certainly will accept the fact that we certainly caught some people's attention when we started you know, exploding high-altitude nuclear bombs in our atmosphere. We did capture the attention of people and get that. Um, But it's not a new phenomenon. And I see exactly the same things. and I I think it's only because I come from a paranormal side of research. I see those connections. If you're just a ufologist and entered into the world of ufology, you will live within that box of ufology. And you've got to take that step out into the other areas to realise what you're missing. And that's kind of when... The ball went on one day and I was thinking it's all the same phenomena. it's all the same thing what people are experiencing it's just got a different mass but it's all the same thing you know and that's what I find it really interesting about that
0: yeah that's where it makes me wonder why they're stuck sticking in this sort of 1950 view of what are we dealing with here almost like you redo the thing instead of starting in 1947 you start from the from the, the yeah. tic-tac case, and you start That's from there, it. and everything before that didn't didn't happen.
1: <laughs> They're, trying yep. to They're trying to reboot us, trying to reboot us back, and I'm not having it, you know, I'm just going.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, have, you, have you ever been uh, led? We talked about the virile, about it being given hints. Have you gotten some direction in, in what you're doing in terms of inspiration and download, well, and stuff like that?
1: Some, some things, um, you know, we we, we had this <laughs> When we set up and having certain specialized discussions in advanced parapsychological circle test experiments these a lot of these things haven't been put out into the public Um, there was times when we were communicating with these so-called entities and we set out a number of questions we had control you have to build up a circle there's a matter of control and once you reach that level of control, at that point, you can come forward and say, okay, I want to ask these questions. You know you're going to get a verbal reply, either from the atmosphere around you or on recorded devices. Um, it's always above you as well the, when you get the sound for some reason. <laughs> i wondered why. was not here, but it's, it's always above you. Um, and we sat down with, on the first occasion, we sat down with 10 questions. And um, prior to even asking the questions, they delivered 10 responses. They knew what they were going to ask. They knew what we were going to ask them. And I realised very quickly it was a demonstration. It was a demonstration to let us know that whatever we bring into that circle, they know. They they read us. They can, But it also alarmed me because I realised very quickly, I mean, we're going back some years now, but I realised very quickly, whoever these things are, they can tell us anything we wanted to hear. They know our thoughts. They know our questions. So it's very easy for them to deliver the response that we expect to have, which led me to believe that, you know, sometimes we could be so easily deceived by a phenomena, which is telling us what we want to hear rather than the truth. Um, But there does seem to be an agenda. There does seem to be reasons why we are given the good stuff. And also times there's also reasons why, they, they'll drag it out for a long, long time and it not be true, you know, and uh, this is what happens in these circles. We know absolutely we're, we're communicating with intelligent sources. The parapsychological um, uh, establishments will say, well, there's no proof of afterlife. And that's true because how can we prove afterlife? You know, we can prove, all they can prove is that we're getting intelligent responses from people who claim to be spirits of the lost, Um, But if they know what the capability the capability, if they know that it can read and get that information from us, they could just be telling us what we want to hear. So we would never know if we're being deceived or not. Therefore, there's not enough conclusive evidence to say afterlife exists. But what they will accept is the fact that, yes, intelligent communication with sources unknown do exist. And there's there's a huge amount of studies that have been involved in this. Um, and sometimes it's through their effort as well, and not just ours, but their effort as well, if they want to provide communications. We were told about frequencies. We were being told about different, numerous different realities, not just one, but numerous different realities. In fact, we were told 11. we We've been given, we were told there was 11, um, and we asked them, we double asked and they kept coming back with saying 11, these varied realities around us, uh, which interact with us, um, to them, it's a whole. To us, we live in just one reality, you know. Um, but uh, them jumping from one to the other has seemingly been part and part of life. It's been all those mystical encounters in, in thousands of years ago that we've heard about. Those re, those unusual things that people experience on time to time is those things just re, just interacting with our realities. Um, that's the kind of information that we receive um in regarding technology um they tell us about obviously about the planet they tell us about this the concerns you know about the way we're going but they don't tend to tell people that could make the difference they tend to tell people it can't make a difference i mean who's going to listen to me sometimes you know who's going to listen to a load of children in, in zimbabwe for an example you know at the end of the day you know the message doesn't get out but uh, it's it's been delivered kind of in the wrong sense i don't know why uh, but it's it, it but we do get information. We do know what to do with it, that's the problem. And it's very difficult to check against as well because we've got this as if with science, the information that science knows about these tests and experiments needs to come forward more for us to say, oh yeah, that's what they were talking about. You know. So it's, we do get communications, but the problem is we don't know if what's true and what isn't. Granted. We can't, we've got no means of being able to test, test it.
0: Are you still are you still working in that, that field? I guess with COVID, everything's sort of shut down. But are you still working with mediums and stuff? Because I remember uh, Desta and I had both uh, had the idea that we'd like to attend a séance or something. If you're doing something to look at some of the research you're doing, and when we're in Great
1: Britain, on the on the, uh, the only thing that's happening at the moment through the on those lines is is the research and the documentation sort of thing, because the group gatherings. Um, I've come to a close because of the COVID situation. I mean, um, and I don't know when that's going to end. And hopefully we can get back to because we want to pick up where we left off. And we're doing a lot of extensive research in the apportations, just as just as you've been doing research in the in apportations. Um, we've been doing a lot of research in that field as well. And we've we've determined to, you know, what constitutes the phenomena being the object being the object, what constitutes it? And Um, From what we've gathered, we've got more evidence to say the object isn't the object that left than it was originally. You might look at it and, you know, seem to be, but uh, if you really look at it under the microscope, it's changed so much. You can't recognise it as the original source object. So we even question the fact if it even is and if it links up a quantum bridge between the phenomena and the location so that it's easy to traverse the phenomena backwards and forward to that location. Um, there's there's a lot of what we refer to as paranormal physics that's involved, uh, and and it's kind of a new area. But uh, what we're finding regular patterns of regular information, which means there's a mechanism there. There's something going on which we don't understand, but there's to have a mechanism there. There's intelligence behind it, and that's what's that's what fascinates us.
0: When we get to a port, so I only got a couple more questions, but when it gets to a port, so I asked Jacques Vallée, I had an interview with him and I talked to him about this, this whole concept that to me, the metal has got its supports. I mean, yeah, it's a, it doesn't fly across the galaxy and then little pieces start falling off it. And I think he sort of agreed with that, this idea, or even the idea, I asked him the thing about the gifting thing. And this gets into the help where I said to him, you know, that Bigelow had pointed out that there, he thought there were seeding crashes around the world. And that Tyler D, the famous guy from American cosmic called it the gifting field when they yeah. picking up the metal and stuff. And Jacques said, well, oh, I think I came up with that idea. So where do you stand <laughs> on the, the whole thing with the metals and the crashes? Uh, have you done a lot of research on that and trying to figure out what's actually going on there?
1: Uh, I've been looking at that. I mean, uh, there are, there are so many worldwide. I mean, if you do the research, you'll sort of start to realize that there's so many significant ones I mean, there's so many that are listed uh, or talked about, which nobody's picked up on. You know, and we're still finding out cases now since the, like this 1945 one, which uh, yeah. Paolo and, and Jacques have been working on. Um, you know, how long have those been, actually been going on? I mean, he, and are they given purposely to advance different countries? I mean, maybe it's just to keep us all level-pegged, you know, that like we want to raise the consciousness and raise our advancing technology at the same time. Thus, everybody has to have the pick of the prop. You know, it's, 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 it's problematic. But what we do know is that the apportation phenomena in the paranormal realms is really seemingly not much different. The, what's left behind, I, I would definitely say, would have some properties under the microscope which are similarly identifiable within the paranormal properties, you know, that we find in apports. Um, I mean, there's been occasions when, you know, Coins turn up, you know, and sometimes the last coin that turned up in my house appeared in the middle of the carpet. It was an American uh, 25 cent coin, but it was a rare one. It was worth a couple of thousand pounds. It was a real rare one, you know, um, but I don't keep a port because we, knew, we know from our, our research from years ago is that when our ports were left in the location of where they happened, uh, phenomena continued. But when we relocated the apport, there was a suppression of the phenomenon in that location. So which led us to believe maybe there's some type of quantum connection there, uh, some connection between we've swapped the phenomena or we've swapped the object. It's, it's come over to our reality. It's been duplicated and sent back. We'll leave it in your reality. But now if we we want to find that location, we can just find it because we've left something trace elements in that environment like quantum bridging. And what we realized once we start moving them away from that location, the suppression took place, which we thought, okay, that's interesting. So we don't tend to keep them; we tend to get rid of them. You know, I mean, you know, we have stored some away, but we don't keep them in our room. Um, but the when you only recently we start looking at the microscope information from these things, metamaterials as well, we're finding obviously lots of different elements in there that could be utilized. Uh, maybe a superconductive materials. We know that they might have anti-gravity properties, even in you know, even um, um, evading light across them in some properties. They're, they are remarkable, but I can't help think that it's just a piece of something they've given us to advance us to the next stage. Yeah. You know, maybe they're trying to get us a little. Yeah, th- Do you know what? The the with technology could just land in our hands, Grant. But at the end of the day, we've got to consciously catch up. I think. You know, because yep. I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a both. We need to have a level of both to be honest.
0: Yeah. Beautiful. I, I didn't know that about the apports. That's interesting. We'll have to have a, another discussion about it because I'm still doing the, the book on apports and I have a lot, but you seem to have some of the the interesting stuff that links into uh, what these things actually are and how they work and, and this linking effect that you're talking about. So last okay. question, can you tell me what you're going to be talking about at Contact in the Desert and uh, and uh, how you think things are going to go there? Are you doing both a lecture and a workshop?
1: I I am yes. I've got um, a lecture and a workshop and a couple of panels too. I've been doing uh, a couple of panels as well. So um, I'm going to be talking about the further advancements that we've got in Project Doorway. Um, it's still an on running program that we're. I mean, we have had some delays, obviously, because we we were supposed to travel, you know, um, and we couldn't. But uh, but we have been made the opportunity to, to do considerable amount of research in there. Um, and we've been looking at numerous new areas of research in regarding um, how the phenomenon interacts in our environment um, and how we, um, through the process of just our, our sensory capabilities, can heed certain warnings in some cases or um, be pick up certain things about the phenomenon, even though it might not be visually present, um, because the body does tell us things, and sometimes we've learned to ignore those, those things. So I'm going to be talking about some of the further advancements in those studies, but most of all, it's going to be about um, some of the technology. It's going to be about the terahertz frequency. And it's funny because I mentioned this in some high circles, and he, he said, oh, yes, oh, yes. So I thought, okay, right, I'm on the right lines. Uh, this terahertz frequency, it's often intrinsically involved in the subject of ufos and not just ufos but in ancient sites where ufos were actually seen as well um, um, and i'm going to be covering some more details about that so it's going to be um talking about the advancements in technology and also looking back in our past and bringing kind of the information that we can gain from our ancient ancient ancestors is still relevant today because we still have that terror frequency at the rising and the setting sun you know we have we have light phenomena. We call them amber gamblers. We've photographed them. You know we've seen them. We've been to we've been to Arizona and they were very friendly to us. There, actually, um, these things are emitting a terahertz frequency around themselves, like miniature suns. Be honest with you. You know, and there's a there's a there's a reason we believe that the terahertz frequency is doing it, and it's because of the manufacture of the metamaterials or the materials that these crafts are utilizing. Because now we know that through process of investigation science uh, even at oxford university in, in, um, in the uk that they're applying terahertz frequency lights to superconductors and they are doing some incredible things um and i, I think all that's kind of part and parcel about the light phenomena so i mean the, the light i mean the ufo is the ufo but the light around it isn't just a uh, just a process of light uh, for, from generation of propulsion i think is a key element to it why it's being used you know so um so we're recording things like that as well gwen uh
0: so let's go where where do you publish your material that people can look at it because you're uh, an absolute wealth of material i mean you're one of the leading people that i would go to in terms of understanding not just ufos but the phenomena because it is more than just ufos so where do you publish your stuff and um I will link whatever you have, like your, your magazine and all this kind of stuff, because I think you are somebody that people should be listening to more, more than I think they are.
1: Well, we, we determined um, the, the information gathered from Project Doorway um, is being filtered through into the, UF, the UITC, it's the UFO Investigators Training Course. Um, it's on the MUFON website. They actually, I've had it, actually, funny enough, I've had some MUFON investigators take it, because they realized the, cons- the the constraints that they had in their earlier learnings, yeah. that they were just in the ufological field They never stepped out of it. And uh, I think people are starting to realize they've got to, they've got to, to get an understanding about this phenomena. Um, and that kind of, t- we put that in, it's, it's, it's a UFO course for the 21st century ufologist, which introduces the paranormal and the parapsychological and all the wonderful aspects of those new areas of research. And that's available on the MUFON website. I know it's a, it, it's available on a, on a glossy A4 uh, course booklet, but it's also available as an online course through MUFON as well. But it's also available through us at PhenomenaMagazine.co.uk. We have a specific page about that. We filter information, not all of it, but we filter information um, into the courses. It's a course that never ends because... The subject never ends, you know, we're always finding out new things. So why should this, this the, the subject of learning about it? And we, everybody does sits that course or takes the course. You can do it in their own time. It's, it's a corresponding course as well. Um, they receive new modular updates for life as we will, as we, as long as we're here and we're capable of learning and putting things together, they will receive it because we believe, you know, it's got a it's a journey. We've got to keep continuing it. It doesn't just end. Um, so, we filter that information, but we do have a number of scientific documents as well under the heading of Project Doorway about some of the new research areas, some of how it links into the parapsychological uh, circles and the research that have taken place throughout other countries around the world in parapsychological circles. Uh, so, we introduce that as well um and that's we don't put tend to put much into the magazine about that and mostly varied topics and stories about the phenomena generally worldwide um but they can they can get information directly from the course or directly from us on the request certainly the scientific documents
0: beautiful I, i always appreciate talking to you steve and hopefully we'll catch up to you in europe or in the united states at a conference and uh because you're just an absolute wealth of knowledge and I appreciate your taking the time today to uh, speak with me. You've spoken to me a lot of times and I, I firmly appreciate it. I think we're sort of on the same wavelength and hopefully more people will move out of the UFO, just the UFO field, and realize this is a much bigger game than 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 just minimizing it to trying to make it ETs and everything. Yeah. Sort of so exactly. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Grant. Your Beautiful. Followers. Talk to you later. Thanks. Have a good day. All right, Grant. That's this week's episode of the Paranormal UFO Consciousness Podcast. I'm your host, Grant Cameron, hoping that you will join me for upcoming episodes. Links to my YouTube interviews, books, and my Facebook sites are in the show notes. If you love the podcast or learn something valuable, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, or give a review on today's episode. If you would like a certain paranormal subject dealt with in the future, please let us know until next time. Watch this space and thank you so much for listening.